Uh, we've spent the last six weeks going through Jesus' last 18 hours of life. Uh, from his arrest and trial, uh, through his crucifixion and then burial on Good Friday. Now the narrative skips a day and we are at dawn on Sunday. At a tomb, in a garden. And as we read this passage, there are really only two questions worth asking. Did this really happen? Can this really happen to me? So think about that as I read John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that she had said that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful uh, for your word, and we're grateful for this testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to uh, hear and believe this morning uh, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that he is present here by your spirit, and that we can have him, we can cling to him, we can abide in him uh, as we look to him in faith, and that he changes our lives. Help us to see and hear and believe that this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. Recently, my girls and I watched the movie Dear Evan Hansen, which was first an award-winning Broadway musical. It's about Evan Hansen, a teenager struggling with depression. A classmate of his named Connor ends up taking his own life. And Evan helps put together a memorial for his friend. And he sings this very moving song there based on a day when they were at an orchard together climbing trees. And Evan fell off a tree and broke his arm, but Connor was there to help him and to get him to the hospital. The song is all about no one being truly alone. And I put some of the lyrics in the front of the bulletin 
And uh, the words go like this. I'm not going to sing it. You can thank me afterwards. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Like you could fall and no one would hear? Even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need someone to carry you, when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. So let the sun come streaming in, because you'll reach up and you'll rise again. Lift your head and look around. You will be found. And in the show, this song takes the internet by storm. Everyone is liking and retweeting and reposting. It's incredibly uplifting. No one is alone. No one is invisible. When you call out, someone will be there. You will be found. Just call out. Very appropriate for young people struggling with mental illness issues. Except in the show, it's all based on a lie. Evan made it all up. He wasn't friends with Connor at all. He never went with him to an orchard. He was by himself when he fell out of a tree and broke his arm. No one was there to lift him up. No one came when he called. He wasn't found, not for a very long time. Evan Hansen's song rang true and did much good, but it was based on a lie. And the rest of the show is about the unraveling of that lie. And I think that's how many have looked at the story of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a good lie, a useful lie. It is teaching things we hope to be true, like we can live on in others' hearts, that, that new life springs from death, that darkness doesn't have to win, that evil doesn't get the last word. One person can make a difference in the world, and the world can become a better place. Many in the Christian West in the last few centuries have thought, resurrection isn't really true. It's just a nice symbolic way of talking about this yearning we all have. But maybe the yearning is there because resurrection really is true, and it's what we're all made for. Here in this passage, we see surprising evidence for the truth of Jesus' resurrection. And if resurrection really happened to Jesus... That means no one has to be alone. No one is invisible. If you want, you will be found, truly. So we're going to look at this under two points. Resurrection really happened to Jesus, and resurrection can really happen to you. So first, resurrection really happened to Jesus. It's important to be clear what we mean by resurrection. Resurrection isn't your soul going to heaven after death. Resurrection is eternal life in your remade eternal body. Resurrection is both spiritual and physical, which is why the question of the location of Jesus' body is so important. In all four Gospels, the empty tomb plays a key role. On Sunday morning at dawn, Mary Magdalene finds the stone seal to the tomb where Jesus was laid on Friday rolled away. She assumed the body had been taken. Grave robbery wasn't terribly uncommon. Now, Peter and John, that's the disciple whom Jesus loved, come to investigate and find the tomb was empty, but that Jesus' grave cloths are still there. And that detail is important because Jesus' body was likely wrapped up like a mummy on Friday. Grave robbers would have left the wrappings on him to carry him somewhere else. And if Jesus somehow woke up in the tomb naturally... He, would have, he, he would have, wouldn't have been able to get the wrappings off, or they would have been torn off and ripped off 
including his face covering, which John says was neatly folded or rolled up. The point is, his body wasn't stolen, but it wasn't there either. What happened? Well, then Jesus appears bodily to Mary, right? She's able to hang on to him. Later, he will eat fish in front of his disciples. Then he'll show them his crucifixion scars. Jesus is now alive in his body, but he had been dead. So his body is somehow different. This living matter is animated differently. This is new creation. And that's what John is trying to communicate with how he describes the scene. It's still dark right at dawn. It's on the first day of the week. How does the whole Bible start? In the beginning, in darkness, on the first day of the week. And then creation happens. How does John's gospel start? In the beginning, in the dark. And then there's a sequence of seven days in the first several chapters. Another creation week. Now here again, first day of the week, in the dark. It's the day after the Sabbath, right? The seventh day of rest during which Jesus was dead and in the ground. Old creation has passed away. This is the first day of a new week, a new creation. This scene of new creation, I think, helps us understand the importance of Mary Magdalene. The only other thing we know about her is that what the Gospel of Luke says, that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. We should assume that in our culture, she would have been considered deeply mentally and emotionally unstable. Jesus healed her, and she became a part of the group of women who traveled with him and his disciples. And so these women went early Sunday morning to the tomb to finish preparing Jesus' body with preserving substances. Mary alerts Peter and John, right, that the the, the stone is rolled away. They come running to the tomb. The men look in the tomb. Then they go into the tomb. They see the linen cloths there. And then they decide to do what? Go home. Right? Their rabbi's body is gone. The one they hailed as Christ. They don't start looking for the body. They don't follow up in any way. They just go home. You can imagine the stereotypical portrayal of two confused guys. Right? They're there, their brains start hurting, scratching their head. One of them says, I'm hungry, I think I want a sandwich. And the other one says, yeah, I think there's a soccer match. And so they start walking away. See you, Mary, hope you get home safe. The story is recorded almost like the men need to get out of the way. Only then, once the men leave, Mary looks in and sees two angels in the tomb. And this is consistent with the other three gospel accounts. Only women saw the angels. Well, why didn't John and Peter see them? Why didn't they show up for John and Peter? Then Mary turns around and she sees Jesus. Clearly, Jesus could have shown up when Peter and John were there. Why did he wait? In fact, he tells Mary to go tell his disciples who were just there that he's alive. He could have just shown himself to them to begin with. Why did the angels wait? Why did Jesus wait to reveal himself first to women? Well, one of the reasons, I think, is because resurrection means new creation. So, just as male and female are both a part of the original creation in Genesis and both participate in the fall, so also male and female are witnesses of new creation and play important roles. If old creation falls by a woman handing forbidden fruit to a man in a garden, new creation starts by women handing good news to men from a garden. 
Mary is the first to announce to his disciples Jesus is alive. This led the early church fathers to call Mary and her companions the apostles to the apostles. What dignity and honor. If this new creation, if this is new creation, then it cannot be a men's only event. And that's what the first century culture would have wanted. In, in the first century, the origin stories, uh, the creation of woman or female is an afterthought, or it's a mistake, or it's a curse. Plato and Aristotle suggested that women were simply failed men, men who failed in a previous life or men who failed to fully develop. One way or another, most cosmologies taught that women were inferior, not merely in physical or mental or moral strength, but in their very being. They were somehow deficient, sub-man. But Genesis 1 and 2 tell a very different story. The story of the goodness of woman and the complementarity of male and female and the inherent equality and dignity a woman shares with a man. So new creation also must include women and show their dignity and worth. And this becomes scandalous in the coming years for the Christian message. At this time, women often weren't allowed to testify in court. They weren't considered reliable witnesses. But God seemingly very intentionally made it so women were the first to see the resurrected Jesus. One of the earliest Christian opponents, a guy named Celsus, dismissed the resurrection by attributing it to the hallucination of a quote-unquote hysterical woman. Right? Ah, she's emotional. She's crazy. She's not thinking logically. Women never heard that before. Jesus commanded the early church to go and proclaim a crucified God, which no one would have invented, who was first seen resurrected by a woman who recently had been considered demon-possessed, which again, no one would have invented. No one in the first century making up a story to be believed would have women be the first eyewitnesses. The only reason the gospel writers are so consistent on this point is because it's true. That's the only plausible explanation. This is how it happened. Now, there's plenty of other evidence for Jesus' resurrection. The, the amount and reliability of eyewitness accounts, the implausible counter-explanations of his appearances in empty tomb, the consistent testimony of the apostles to the point of death when they were in a position to know the truth of what they were saying, whether or not they were lying, even the survival and growth of the early church. These, along with what I've said about women's testimony, suggests this resurrection claim wasn't a made-up story or some groupthink or group conspiracy or hallucination, but that, amazingly, it really happened to Jesus. Now, like most important truths, there's no way to decisively prove and demonstrate Jesus rose from the dead. Instead, the way you can know he rose is by experiencing him. So resurrection really happened to Jesus, and secondly, resurrection can really happen to you. This is what happened to Mary Magdalene and to all the disciples and to every sincere Christian since. They met the resurrected Jesus. How? Well, this gospel, John, opens at the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing people. There he points out Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a few of John's disciples start following Jesus around. 
Finally, Jesus turns around to them, and, and, and we hear the first words of his in the gospel. You know what he says? He asks them, what are you seeking? Right? What are you looking for? That's the opening question from Jesus in the gospel. What are you seeking? The two disciples ask, where are you staying? And he answers, come and see. And this phrase, come and see, is repeated over and over again in the first four chapters of the gospel. What's the first thing the resurrected Jesus says? He says it to Mary. Why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? Same question as at the beginning. Who or what are you looking for? That's the question Jesus is asking all of us as we hear this passage. And the invitation is, come and see. That's what Mary did. She didn't just go home scratching her head. She stayed there looking for Jesus in her sadness and confusion. Things had gone from bad to worse. Not only had Jesus died and the disciples scattered, now his body was gone. They weren't going to be able to mourn him properly. Mary was in the dark figuratively and literally. But she is seeking Jesus. And that's where he shows up. He shows up first to Mary who stuck around seeking him. You want to know if resurrection is real? Come and see. Seek Jesus. Seek him in your darkest places of confusion and pain and suffering. Where do you do that? Well, you can seek him in the Bible, in his word. You can seek him at church. You can seek him among his people and with Christian friends. You can seek him by yourself in prayer. Jesus went to the cross. He won't avoid you at your lowest place. In fact, that's where you're most likely to find him, or better, where he will find you. When Mary first sees Jesus, right, she thinks he's the gardener, right? She's, she's looking around and saying to him, sir, if you've carried him away, you know, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll come and take him away, right? She's distracted. And with one word, Jesus changes her life. He calls her by her name, Mary. Her eyes are opened, her mind is blown, and her heart leaps for joy. We've all experienced how powerful it is when someone calls you by your name or forgets it. My senior year at Duke, there was a starting basketball player in one of my classes. Nate James was his name. Major celebrity on campus, he ended up an assistant for Coach K, right, the winningest coach in basketball history. He was on TV all the time. Anyway, uh, this class wasn't a big survey class, it was a small seminar. He, he and I interacted there on multiple occasions. Nate James knew my name, he called me by my name. So I'm bragging about this at the time to my friend Benji. One day Benji and I are walking together through the quad and we see Nate James walking towards us. To be acknowledged by a Duke basketball player on campus is amazing, right? Amazing feather in your cap. And so I, as he's coming by, I nonchalantly nod at him, hey, Nate, and he nods back at me and says, hey, Rob. <laughs> My friend Benji just bursts out laughing. It's been a top five joke for us for 25 years. Hi, Rob. It's not all that special when an important person gets your name wrong. And it's so special when they get it right. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has all kinds of conversations and interactions with people. He only calls someone by their name four times, which shows the importance of what he says. To Philip, he says, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Lazarus, come out. And simply, Mary. Just speaking someone's name is so vitally important and life-giving. In speaking her name to her, Jesus is calling Mary into new life. In our darkest, worst places, Jesus is there. He knows your name. He calls you by name. You aren't invisible. He finds you. Listen for him. That's the beginning of resurrection. That's what it was for Mary. Resurrection life begins when you begin to experience the resurrected Jesus. Um, Mary's resurrection isn't complete, of course. She did die eventually, but she's already becoming someone new. Jesus had a task for her. Right? She had to go to his less than faithful disciples and tell them the good news of his resurrection. Jesus is communicating to Mary that she matters. Sociologists defined mattering as the belief that other people notice you, care about you, and rely on you. And Jesus does all three for Mary in this interaction. He calls her by name, he attends to her pain, and he gives her something important to do. We all want to matter. Right? To a large degree, that's what Silicon Valley is all about, isn't it? This is where people come to be known, to be successful, to, to be important, to do important things. So many of us are working our tails off to prove that we matter. What are you seeking? You are seeking significance. You are seeking to matter. But this first scene of Jesus' resurrection means the people who are told by the world that they don't matter actually matter. This marginal woman who up until very recently was considered mentally and emotionally unstable matters. Because of Jesus, she has a message now from Jesus for his dim-witted, uneducated, not very faithful disciples. The message is, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Or Jesus is saying something new has happened. Now that he's resurrected, his heavenly Father is the disciples' Father. The true God is now their God. And, and this is what Jesus' resurrection does. It opens up a clear path for us to get back to our Creator. Through Jesus, all that keeps us from God is removed. All of our mistakes, all of our ugly thoughts, all of our small-mindedness and confusion, all of our laziness and fear, death, and whatever powers and structures that capture and oppress us are defeated and finished. In Jesus, God is fully present to us, and new life is already happening. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We we read it in the words of assurance. If anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation. The boom is implied in the Greek. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you about it afterwards. Experiencing God's forgiveness, the peace of God, wanting more the things of God, longing for God, these are all signs of resurrection life happening in you through Jesus. This is the abundant life Jesus is talking about throughout the gospel. The seeking of significance and mattering, being seen, being known, being found. It all comes through resurrection. Finally, Jesus' resurrection and his initial appearances don't only mean that everyone matters. They also mean that everything matters. Jesus didn't come back simply as a ghost or spirit, demanding that we reach enlightenment and overcome our day-to-day concerns and burdens and physicality. 
Precisely because Jesus' whole person is restored, body and soul, everything matters. The other day, I was driving my daughters to swim practice, and I was asking them about boys they might like. And uh, one of them said, Daddy, don't be one of those involved dads. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, one of those dads interested in everything. I said, look, I'm interested because I love you. And she said, fine, you can be involved, but not too involved. Because he loves us and made us, God wants to be involved in every minute aspect and detail of our lives. And that's a good thing, just like every kid wants an involved parent. That's why he took on flesh, died, and returned in the flesh, so that every aspect of our lives could be redeemed, could be turned for good, could be meaningful, could be made to matter. Experiencing resurrection means experiencing Jesus in the mundane, in the day-to-day, trusting Him with our families and friends, trusting Him with our careers, trusting Him with our bodies and our health, trusting Him with our time and our resources, trusting Him with everything. Of course, resurrection isn't only for this world, it's really for the next, which Jesus will bring with Him when He returns. But we can begin to experience resurrection now by trusting in Jesus. We come and see. He calls us by our name. He gives us things to do. All of life is changed. It really happened. It can really happen to you. You can be found. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word. And again, we ask that you would help us to come and see. Help us to uh, hear and believe. Help us uh, to now Uh, experience the resurrected Jesus. We pray by your Spirit that we would know and, and hear him calling our name and that our lives would be changed and transformed because he is alive. So help us to believe this good news and help us to share this good news with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.